you have your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 6. You remember uh, five weeks ago or five sermons ago, we, we set out on a study of the first six chapters in Isaiah. And I'm going to be honest with you, these sermons, I don't know where they're headed whenever uh, I get started on them. And I have been absolutely amazed at the information in these six chapters in Isaiah and the relevance of what Isaiah said to the nation of Israel centuries, millennia ago that apply to us today. And so in the decision to sing Heal Our Land, I believe that it fits right in with the sermons because we've been talking about Isaiah's message to the nations, God's judgment or God's grace. Please leave your Bibles open to chapter 6. But uh, Sarah, you're running the computer. How about go to the second page of the PowerPoint where it says the six woes, statements of judgment. Would you go to that, please? While she's doing that, there we go. While she's doing that, let's pray together, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here. God, I pray that you would make yourself known through your word and that your Holy Spirit would take the message that Isaiah gave his nation and you would speak to us and speak to our nation, God. Father, help each one of us as believers, as followers of Christ, to know that our lives do make a difference in the world that we live in. And God, perhaps we don't think we have much influence, but help us to see that one light shining in a dark world will shed much light. And so God, as your son told his followers to be the light of the world, help us, Lord, that we'll live in such a Christ-like way that we'll make a difference and we'll shed light. And God, I pray that we might turn from sin and turn to you. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. I actually am going to be a little bit backward today, okay? I want to go back to chapter 5, and I'm not going to read those verses. If you were here last Sunday, you know that beginning in chapter 5, verse 8, through the rest of the chapter, verse 30, uh, Isaiah mentions six woes of the nation, six statements of judgment on six types of sin. And I want to just quickly mention these, these six things. I didn't get finished last week, and there's been a part of this that I've been wanting to bring up. That, again, I pray that God is behind all of this to help this come together, okay? But in chapter 5, beginning with verse 8, Isaiah mentions six sins that are causing the nation of Israel to turn against God. And let me quickly mention these. They're on the overhead. Selfish greed materialism drunken conduct, mockery at God's power to judge their sin, distortion of God's moral standards, arrogance and pride, and perversion of justice. And are not all of these a part of everyday American culture and lifestyle? And folks, if God judged these sins in Isaiah's day, surely he will judge the sins of the world today. But I want to remind you, and please again hang with me, and I I just pray that God will, will just speak through me today the truth. Judgment is and always will be a result of mankind's sin and rebellion against God and His holiness. 
not because God stops loving mankind. Mankind, even the nation of Israel, the people of God, will bring judgment on themselves because of their sin. And here's something that I've been wanting us just to focus on for a few minutes. Are there two different gods in the Bible? Is the God of the Old Testament the God of vengeance and justice, and the God of the New Testament the God of mercy and grace? And folks, let me answer that question by saying this. Now, I was raised by my mother, so I've got to talk about Eva Mae Brown, okay? And I want to pose this question, did I have two mothers? No, no, listen to what I'm saying, all right? Because you see, in those early years of my life, boy, she showered me with love and everything was honky-dory. But then when I became a rebellious youngster and then teenager, she became a parent of judgment. Now, was that two different women? Absolutely not. It was the same mother. Now, did Eva Mae Brown change Or did Herbert Brown change? You know the answer to that. As I grew up, I became more and more rebellious against her parental authority as well as any other authority in my life. I didn't like anybody who tried to tell me what to do. And folks, what I'm trying to build up to is this. As a loving parent, my mother not only birthed me, but saw me through those early years, but then she began to set conditions of how I would live as her child. And she had this old saying, "If as long as you put your feet under my table, you're going to do as I say. Did any of y'all ever hear that saying? All right, here's what I'm driving at, folks. Don't we discipline our children? Now, don't we? And and let me tell you something. I think the Word of God is very clear. If you and I don't discipline our children, we're very poor parents and we're not living by the biblical guidelines. And I am not talking about abuse, okay? But don't we as parents try to keep them from harming themselves? One of the best examples, you know, don't touch a hot stove. It'll burn you. And it will. Did you find that out on your own? No, your parent tried to warn you. You know, the first time I ever got stitches, and you can still see the scar, and it's about 60 years old in my wrist. I was on the back porch. I loved marbles when I was growing up. And I found an empty Pepsi-Cola glass bottle. And for young people, they used to put drinks in glass bottles, okay? And I put all of my marbles in that bottle, and I was having the best time on the back porch just shaking that thing. It was making all kind of noise. My mama said, you need to stop that. She was cooking supper. You need to stop that. You need to stop that. I don't know how many times she told me that, but, you know, she's cooking supper. I ain't got to worry about it. She can't reach me from here anyway, little old short woman, you know. I shook that bottle till it broke, and glass went everywhere. And I am very fortunate that it did not cut one of the main veins or arteries in my wrist. My mother, she forgot about supper. She wrapped it up in a towel, carried me straight to the doctor. And that is the first time I ever got stitches in my life. But I still bear that scar as a reminder, don't put marbles in a glass bottle and shake it up. And listen to your mama. She knows what she's talking about. As parents, aren't there certain things that we want to keep our children from? Would you give your 
child the sharp knife. You remember as we studied Abraham, they went up on Mount Moriah. Abraham took the knife that he would use to slay the sacrifice. You remember that? He wouldn't let his son tote that dagger. Well, folks, when a parent, young people, when your parent says no to certain things because they would injure you, if they say, no, don't do drugs, no, don't drink alcohol, no, don't get involved in premarital sex, no, don't start lying and stealing, you know what they're trying to do is help you and guide you as a parent. And, folks, that leads up to the point. Why does God tell us no? Why does God say, here are the ways I expect you to live, and I expect obedience from you? Let me tell you some reasons, okay? Proverbs 14, 12. Listen to this verse. This was written by one of the smartest men who has ever walked on the earth, Solomon. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Listen to Romans 6, 23, written by Paul, the chief sinner delivered from the dominion of sin, one of the world's greatest theologians. For the wages of sin is death. Folks, are you hearing this? There's a way in Proverbs that seemed right to a man, its way is death. In the words of Jesus, there is a broad way that is easy, and many are on that way, but it leads to destruction or to death. The Apostle Paul says the wages, the end result of sin is death. But listen to what Paul also says. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to what Jesus said back in Matthew 7. For the gate is narrow and the way is easy that leads to life. And folks, listen to John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Folks, can you and I listen to this? Can we truly hear what the Word of God, what the Son of God, what the men who knew God intimately are saying? Man's way leads to death and destruction, and God's way leads to life. Can we understand that? And I'm saying that to myself. Folks, if God just said, all right, you just go out and do whatever you want to do, and that's what the world basically says they want to do. You know, you're not going to tell me what to do, even God Almighty Himself. And in Isaiah's day, it was the same way. And the judgment of God came. Why? Did God stop having mercy and grace? Absolutely not. When you and I reject the way of God, the only thing that is left is judgment. And that might seem pretty harsh, but let me read these words to you, okay? You've heard them before, but listen to them again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, should not be destroyed, but have eternal life. Now listen to this. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is, conde- he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Listen to this. This is the judgment. 
that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Folks, our problem today is not that we've got an angry God. Our problem today is we have got a creation that's saying to the Creator, you will not rule over me. We'll do it our way. And again, the Word of God teaches us that when we do it our way, guess what? We bear the scars of wrong decisions and getting on the wrong road of life. Folks, again, let me point out that Isaiah saw that God was going to send His mercy, but then He would send His grace. And the judgment that God was getting ready to send was a purifying judgment that would lead His people back to Him. And folks, here's my struggle in today's world. When will we stop running from God and shaking our fist at God saying, we don't need you? And when will we turn back to God and acknowledge that we need Him? Throughout the book of Isaiah, it's the promises that God's grace will be greater than man's sins. I've already told you about this. Isaiah 53, where the promise of a coming Messiah, look at these words. Look at the promise of a Savior. And folks, if if you'll just take a moment to read these verses very, very quietly and very simply and just jot down what he says about the coming of Christ. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed and stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Listen to what Jesus does for us. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sins. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole. With his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, but we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You hear that? We're sinners. We deserve God's judgment, but guess what? God's Son took the judgment of our sin upon Himself. There is no need for us to stand under judgment because we have a Savior. But let me read some more warnings. I I tell you, I could preach, I believe, for 20 years out of the book of, of, uh, of, of Isaiah. It is so powerful. Let me get you, Sarah, if you would, fast forward to, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 to 20. And again, I'm going to run out of time quickly, but can I get you to promise me something? Would you read these verses at home in the privacy? Would you jot these verses down? Let me just, here's what God says in in, in the Old Testament to his people. Listen to this. And this is a lengthy passage of Scripture. I'm not apologizing for that. But folks, listen to what God says. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 20. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. And for the second time in two verses, he says, if you obey the voice of the Lord. And listen in verses 3 through 6, blessed shall you be is mentioned six times. If you want the blessings of God, just continue to listen. Verse 3, Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your beast, the increase of your cattle, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket, your kneading trough. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. 
And listen then in verses 7 through 14. This is what the Lord will do if you will obey His voice and if you will serve Him. Seven times, Moses says the Lord will. Listen to this. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you, who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings upon you in your barns and on all you undertake. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his way. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they'll be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity and the fruit of your body, the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground within the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rains of your land in this season, to bless all the works of your hand. Will you look at this last phrase, okay? If you go back to verse 12, I'm sorry, Sarah, go back to verse 12. Look at the last two lines on that overhead. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. All my life, I heard about the money that the Jewish people have. You, I, I'm not trying to be ugly now, folks. I'm just trying to be honest, okay? The Jews had all the money. I've always heard that. Folks, do you understand what God's saying? We're not talking about dollars and cents, but we're talking about a God who wants to bless his people. And when I read that statement, you shall lend to nations, but you shall not borrow, I think about the sorry mess the United States has got itself into because we are trillions of dollars in debt and we're getting deeper and deeper in debt every day. And the way out is not to be figured out by man. The way out is to turn back to holy God and obey him. And that might not make any sense, but folks, that is the biblical word of God and the truth. And God spoke it. Our problem is not a financial problem. Our problem is a spiritual problem. We have rejected God. We put more stock in money and in the stock market and our possessions than we do in God. And yes, we need to have X amount of money. Yes, it's a wise idea to buy stocks. Yes, it's good uh, that we would be wise financially. But if we leave God out of it, we are backing ourselves into a road to destruction. Listen to what he says in verse 17. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall trend upward only and not downward, if you obey the commands of the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, being careful to do, do them, if you do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, go after other gods to serve them. But here's the warnings against disobedience, okay? But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you your basket and your kneading trough. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body, the fruit of the ground, the increase of your cattle, the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. And listen to verse 20. Verse 20. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and quickly perished on account of the evil of your doing because you have forsaken me. 
It doesn't say anywhere that God has changed and that God doesn't want to give his mercy and grace, but on account of the evil that the people are doing and they have forsaken him, their disobedience to sin is going to cause God's judgment to come upon them. Let me quickly do a couple more things, okay? What if our world, and you know, I think here's another symptom of the problem. We, we, we're, we're trying to do away with the Ten Commandments. Now, and again, I know we live in New Testament times. We live in the time of grace and not the time of the law. But folks, before we take those Ten Commandments down off the courthouse walls and get them out of the classrooms, let me pose a question. What would happen in our world, what would change in our world if we obeyed the Ten Commandments? And let, me, let me mention first the last six, Okay. If we obeyed the Ten Commandments, there would be no disrespect for parents and grandparents. There would be no murder. There would be no adultery. There would be no stealing. There would be no lying. There would be no coveting and greed. And wouldn't you say that would make our world a better day and a better place? But let's just cast them out the window. But why do we want to throw the Ten Commandments out? Why do we want to break the six commandments that I've mentioned? Because we don't want to obey the first four that are mentioned. And you know what they pertain to? You'll have no other gods before the Lord. You'll worship no other gods. You'll not dishonor holy God. And you will worship God. You see, the problem again falls back to our unwillingness to put God first and worship Him. Would not godly character and common sense dictate that we as a nation do everything in our power to obey, to teach, and to live the instructions of God and the example of His Son? And I'm just about finished, but this is where I wanted to get to before we look at Isaiah 6 next week. What right does Isaiah have to tell the people they need to get right with God? What right do I have to stand before you and point out that the judgment of God is coming if we don't turn? I'm not going to read chapter 6, which is 13 verses. I'd encourage you to read it in your Bible and then get a contemporary version of it. Let me tell you why. Isaiah had a right to preach the message of judgment and grace to the nations. Number one, he saw the Lord. Chapter 6 will blow you away. Isaiah is taken up into the very presence of God and to perhaps the heavenly temple in heaven itself. And in and, and John twelve forty one, John says that Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus Christ. I never, I never knew that. Folks, when you and I see Jesus Christ, we will want to live godly lives and call our world to repentance. Isaiah saw the holiness of God. You remember the, the heavenly beings are saying, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord Almighty. Is God holy to us anymore? We sang the first song, Holy, holy, holy. Is God holy anymore? And folks, I want to point something out. 
in verse 5, Isaiah confesses his own sinfulness. And folks, I confess to you, I am a sinner. I have no right and I do not judge you. But I'm telling you that God will judge our sin because he will judge mine as well as yours. Isaiah knew that he was a sinner. And when he confessed his sin, he got a cleansing of his sin in verse 7 as is signified by the warm coals of the hot coals that cleansed his lips. And here's something else. In verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, Isaiah hears the Lord speaking. And in verse 8, Isaiah volunteers to go. I answered, I will go, send me. In verse 9, 10, and 11, God gives Isaiah the message. Again, please read this passage of Scripture. And God gave Isaiah the message of judgment, but he also gave him the message of hope. And folks, that's where we stand as the church of Jesus Christ. We must tell the world that sin will lead to spiritual death and physical death also. But the Savior leads to eternal life. Folks, we're not a one-way street where we just condemn everybody and tell them how bad they are and that hell's waiting for them. We're telling about the Savior who stood between sinful man and holy God, between sinful man and the, the penalty that we justly deserve. Jesus stood between us, and He took our sin upon Himself on the cross. All the judgment that our world deserves was placed on Jesus on the cross at Calvary. That's the message of the gospel. Sarah, if you will, go to the next to the last, the next to the last frame, Romans 5.20. This is becoming one of my favorite verses. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You see, every one of us deserves God's judgment and His wrath. But God's grace is greater. Greater than all of our sin. And when we trust Him as our personal Savior, He takes the judgment away. And He gives us eternal life. And folks, it not only can happen in the individual's life, but it can happen in the life of a nation. The next slide, and I'm finished. Okay? You know this verse. If my people... Think about this. If my people... In the context of that verse, Israel, in the context of the day, if the United States, if the church who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. It's got to be a God thing. We've got to turn it back to Him. We've got to turn away from sin and self and turn to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, help us to see as a nation, as a world, the error of our way. God, again, I thank you for the messages of Isaiah. God, I wonder how he felt when he looked at you and saw your holiness and his unworthiness. God, help us again as Christians, as a church, 
to see who you are. God, we've devalued you in our hearts and minds to where we don't have much respect for you anymore as, as Christians, even as a church, and most especially as a nation. But God, fill us with the vision that Isaiah had. And God, as you look upon this world that you're grieving over, that you sent your Son to die for and to save, God, help us to grieve for our world and those that are lost. And God, help us to say as Isaiah did, here am I, here am I, send me. God, please, please, Lord, may we be found faithful unto you. For I ask in Jesus' name, amen.